back up. I know it's been a few weeks, but let's pick back up uh, with spiritual authority and accountability. You should have your handout um, uh, that, that was just distributed to you. So if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to go with me to the uh, book of Ephesians chapter number one, Ephesians one. And um, we'll um, begin our reading at verse 18. Now we, we've covered uh, biblical authority and accountability. We also talk about authority and accountability in the church and how important it is believers are mutually responsible to one another. We know that, right? We are our brother's keepers, right? Uh, believers are to obey church leadership. Deacons and officers are accountable to the pastor. The pastor is accountable to God and the congregation. The congregation is accountable for pastoral care, okay? So we talked about that. So we left off with the goal of biblical authority and accountability of the church. And so uh, we'll pick back up. So if you, if you got Ephesians chapter one, verse number 18. Also, guys, I, I, I'm also a proud pastor. I, I, we had an awesome, awesome uh, time sharing with uh, uh, Pastor Norris McGill and the Antioch Christian Church family in their marriage uh, couples getaway. Awesome time. And, I'm, and, and we had EBC folks up in the house. I mean, I tell you what, y'all made me preach a little bit harder seeing y'all out there. I tell you what, it was an awesome weekend, awesome experience. And so I thank you for your support, uh, those who came along with us. Uh, and uh, I think we were blessed as a result. OK, so so again, I want to mention that. All right. So let's let's take a look. So in your outline, we said the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is not just so somebody can say I'm in charge. All right. That's not that's not the goal. The goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is, number one, to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church. Let's read that together. It says what? To establish and reflect the rule of God. Where? On earth through what? The church. The church is the one institution that God chose and that God created to reflect his rule in the earth. Amen? So in Ephesians, the first chapter, uh, we'll begin reading at verse number 18. The text says what? I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Verse number 19, let's read it together. It says what? I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power, watch this next verse, that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now, how many of y'all know that positionally at this point in time in the year 2018 uh, and ever since his ascension, Jesus has been seated on the right hand of the father. Okay. We know that 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 that's a place of honor to sit on the on the master's right hand. OK, so Jesus is seated on the right hand of the father. And that's a place of honor because Jesus did what God sent him to do. Amen. We talked about the fact that we serve a triune God, God, the father, son, and Holy Spirit. Yet we also see that the son is subjected to the father. Right. Because the son, even when he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane, said, Lord, if there's any other way to accomplish this, let's do it. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Can I get a witness? So Jesus understood that even though he was equal with God, 
He understood authority that he did not he did not count that as to be something to be holding on to uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a selfish manner. But he gave up the privileges of, of, of that existence in heaven with God, the father, and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Correct. Put on human flesh and submitted himself to the will of the father, even though he was equal with him. Now, I don't quite understand how all that works. All I know is that Jesus did it. And, 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 and the fact that he did it shows us that he's trying to give us a tangible example of what it means to submit to authority. Even when, even when uh, that authority you're submitting to uh, 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 may, you know, what he's asking you to do may not be something that your flesh is comfortable doing. All right. So Jesus understood in the human flesh that he didn't want to be separated from the father. But he did it because he understood authority. He understood how to reflect God's rule in the earth. Okay? So the text says, this next verse says what? Verse 21 says, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or any, anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Let's keep reading. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ, right? And has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So what he's saying is that everything, all things are under the authority of Christ. Y'all got that? We're talking about spiritual authority and accountability. So let's keep that in mind because what I've discovered when we start this series, I told you that there are many Christians who don't, who don't embrace and understand spiritual authority and who don't embrace making themselves accountable to the spiritual authority that they've connected with, all right? So as a result, people do church how they want to do church. They, they, they commit to certain things they want to commit to. They don't want to commit, they just don't commit. But if we're going to reflect the rule of God in earth, God has to have believers who understand spiritual authority and the fact that they are accountable to each other, we are accountable to each other. And we are accountable to God to do the things the way God wants them done. Let's keep reading here. Uh, it says, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Look at the next verse. Let's go. It says what? Uh, and the uh, 23 is what? Yeah, we're stopping at 23. Stop right there. So, to, so the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is to number one, to establish and reflect the rule of God. Um, through the church, through the church. Now, I just read all those passages, but here, who is who is speaking here? Who's writing here? The Apostle Paul, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church at Ephesus, right? And and, and so Paul's desire uh, for the for the Ephesian Christian was that they would understand what great wealth they had in Christ. Paul knew of their faith and their love. And he rejoiced as a result of it. So, but he wanted them to know what great wealth they had in Christ. How many of y'all know and how many of y'all believe that there are certain point in times in our life where we miss out because we don't know certain things? Let, 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 me, let me clue you in. You, we, we miss out sometimes because we don't know certain things or we don't have knowledge of certain things. Um, you know, uh, th there's there's stuff that's maybe available to us, but if we don't know that it's available to us, we can't take advantage of it. Is that correct? All right. So so when it comes to the things of God, the things of Christ, what Paul is telling the, the, the church of Ephesus, is there are certain things that that you have available to you 
And I want to make sure that you know about those things. Because when you know about those things, it positions you, come on, it positions you to, to, to reap the benefits of knowing about that thing. How many of y'all would be upset if you found out right now that, that Brookshire's had uh, a, a, a special promotion going that every member of EBC could go down there after Bible study tonight and get $700 worth of groceries without paying a dime. But you didn't know about it. Or let's just say everybody at, 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 at Bible study tonight knew about it and went down and took advantage of it. How many of y'all would go and shop and get your $700 worth of groceries? Huh? But what about the folks who didn't come tonight and they showed up on Sunday and discovered that all of us in here got $700 worth of groceries. You know what? I just, how many of us in here? Let's see. Let's see. Yeah. You know what? I, here's the way my mind thinks, y'all. My, my mind thinks, I, I, I'm thinking a little crazy sometimes, but you know, I, I don't think I'm really crazy, but it's just, it's just that I think, I believe in teaching by example. And one of these days, it may not be $700, but one of these days, I'm going to take all of y'all from Bible study and we're going to go to Brookshire's or, or we're going to go to the gas station and fill your car. We're going to do something. And then when we come around on Sunday, we're going to shout about it. And everybody that wasn't here on Wednesday, they're going to want to try to get it, but they can't get it because they didn't know about it. They didn't know about it because they weren't here to get the information. Paul is saying, y'all look at me crazy like that, but I'm going to do that one Wednesday, okay? I'm not going to tell you which Wednesday it is. <laughs> but we're going to drive down there. I'm going to call Dwayne or we're going to go to Shell or Brooks or where we're going we're gonna to pull up and we're going to drive up. We're going to fill you up. So now, don't y'all come to church empty. <laughs> Some of y'all like, yeah, every Wednesday, I'm going to drain it, baby. I'm going to drain it. It's going to be one of those Wednesdays. I, I don't know when it's going to be, but yeah, because I, I believe in teaching by example. Are y'all with me? So, be, to them, so, so when you know certain things, but if you don't know, you can't take advantage of it. So Paul said, there's some things, church of Ephesus, I want you guys to know. Because when you know these things, it, it's going to help you uh, to, to, to be able to, to be the church that God wants you to be. So let me, get, let me give you four things uh, from this first Scripture references, Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, that Paul wanted to get them to know. All right. First thing is, as a matter of fact, back up to verse number 17. Look at verse number 17, if you will. Pop that back up. Verse 17. Ephesians 1, verse number 17. Uh, well, start at 16. We got to start at 16. Get the full text of it. 16 says, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you what? Spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Read it one more time. Verse 17, asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you what? Spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God, that you might grow in your knowledge of God. So the first Thing that he prays is, just jot, jot this down, he, he prays that they might know God. How many of you know, how, do you, how many of you believe that you can be a Christian and not really know God? 
when I say know God, I mean knowing on a deeper or more intimate level. Because there are people in your life who you know and you have relationship with, but you don't really know them. I mean, you, you, you don't know how they respond to pressure. You don't know how they respond to adversity. You don't know how they handle their money. You don't know uh, uh, if they're fair or not. You, you, you know them from seeing them at church, maybe. And maybe you've spoken with them. Maybe you went out. Maybe you ate together. But you don't really know them. I submit to you that until you have connected with someone on a, on, a, on a very intimate level and have been around them for a period of time, you don't really know them. And I could even go out on a limb and say, really, if you don't live with a person, you don't really know them like you think you know them. Because most of us, when we come out of the house, we come out and we try to be on our best behavior, don't we? Huh? But when you go home, sometimes you're like, this is, hey, this is, this is why I can be just me. And sometimes just being you or just being me ain't, ain't, ain't what God wants to be. So you don't really know people sometimes until you spend time with them. Amen. So, so what he's saying, number one, is he prayed that they might know God. This, of course, is the highest knowledge possible. What, what, he, what, what he's trying to get them to say is, get them to understand is that I want you to know God. I want you to have intimate knowledge of God. And so a lot of people don't know God because it begins with an unwillingness to, to, to accept him as creator, as savior, as governor, as judge of their lives. So if the believer must grow in his knowledge, to know God personally is, is, to, is to accept him as your personal savior. To know him increasingly, amen, is, 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 is talking about sanctification. So when I first get saved, come on, I know him as my savior when I ask him into my heart. But so I got, I got salvation. But what Paul is after here is knowing him to, at a level to where our knowledge of God begins to help sanctify us, to put us in a position where we are, amen, reflecting God's image in the earth realm. Go to Philippians 3 and 10 with him right quick. Philippians chapter number 3, and let's look at verse number 10. Are y'all still tracking with me? I say he wants him to know him. Philippians 3, verse number 10. It says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power, watch, watch this, that raised him from the dead. Who's talking here? The Apostle Paul. And he's take, talking to the church at Philippi. He says, I want to, Paul is telling them, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Amen. To know him in such a way to where I experience his power and that I'm willing to suffer with him. Okay? So that's, that means that we're being sanctified. We're, when, we, when we know him at that level, we're allowing God's principles to govern our life, and it makes us better than what we were when we first got saved. Salvation should be a progressive process. We shouldn't, be the, we shouldn't remain the same as we were when we first got saved. There should be evidence of growth in our life to the people who know us. To the people who know us, everybody say, people who know me. People who are around you, your family, your close friends who observe you, they should be able to see some growth in your life. So he prayed, number one, that they might know God, amen, to know him 
uh, to the point to where uh, uh, that, that God's principles and God's ways are directing his life, okay, on an everyday basis, so that they might know God. The next thing he prayed that they may know, that, that they, that he said in verse 18, that we might know God's calling. God's calling. The word called is an important word in the Christian vocabulary. The word church is a combination of two Greek words that mean called out. There's a Greek word, y'all heard me say it before, it's called ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. The word ecclesia means what? The called out ones. So if we are truly a part of the church, we are the called out ones. That means I've been called out of some stuff that I used to be in. And this calling on my life requires me to live differently than I did before I accepted that calling. So, now what are you saying, Pastor? Well, if I'm going to walk in spiritual authority and be accountable to my fellow brothers in Christ and be accountable to uh, this, this Bible that, that I say I believe is God's word, then there are some things that I cannot afford to continue to do since I've been called out. If I'm called out, what am I called out of? I'm called out of this world system. I'm called out of a system that says i got to do life this way. And I've been planted into Christ Jesus, which means i got to live life a different way. i got to be a man of, man of faith. you got to be a man or woman of faith living life in such a way that exemplifies the godly character that God wants you to have. So, ecclesia means what? Called out. Everybody say called out. So, he says, uh, uh, we might know God's calling. Paul wants us to understand the hope that is ours because of this calling. Amen? We have a hope. Ephesus, guys, was a wealthy city, and, and it boasted that the, the temple of the goddess Diana, I told you all before, and and to, you know, Ephesus uh, had a lot of stuff going on there, but Paul was encouraged by the faith of these saints here who were, who were rejoicing in their, in their newfound faith and they were moving forward in faith, but he wanted to encourage them. I want, you to, that you, I want you to know God. I want you to know God's calling. The third thing he says, I want you to know God's riches. To know God's riches. Look at, look, go back to Ephesians 1, verse number 18 with me right quick. He wants them to know God's riches. Because again, what are, we, what are we on? He said the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is, number one, to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church. So how do you know that God is, how can people tell that God is ruling in your life? Because you got Baptists on your chest? How do they know God is ruling in your life? How, how can people observe or know that God has a special place in your life. Well, you know, by and large, we, we see it from our outward expressions. Not, not just, I don't mean expression like facial expression, but how we live in our life. Because ultimately, when it really comes down to it, people can't see inside of your heart. But they can see your actions. There's a phrase we quote all the time, a tree is known by what? The fruit that it bears, okay? So look back here, verse Ephesians 1.18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. Confident hope he's given to those he called. His holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance, okay? So, so he prayed, first of all, he prayed that they might, might, they might know God. They may have a genuine knowledge of him. Because how many of y'all grew up in church, but you didn't really know God? I mean, you got saved later in life. In other words, maybe you went to church, but you really didn't know what it means to be a Christian. 
I mean, I, I, I grew up in church, got baptized when I was young. Um, and and uh, because it was time to get baptized, it was it was a certain, you know, during revival season, uh, we would have week long revivals. And I thank God for 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 where we came from. I thank God for our history. But the, but we had week long revival and they would have a mourner's bench. They would take a bench from right there and they would place it right here in front of the pulpit. And if it was your time, you would have to come and sit on the mourner's bench. Does anybody remember this? Is, is this foreign to anybody? So you would, you would if, if, it was, if your mom and daddy told you, boy, it's time for you to get baptized, you would sit on the mourner's bench and the preacher, you would sit right here and the preacher would be preaching to you all week long while you sat on what? The mourner's bench. Now, I don't have any problem with that, uh, but I think, that's, I think that's a better way to do it, but that's the way we did it then, so cool, Okay. The problem that I had was I really didn't understand what it meant to be a saved, born-again believer. Okay? I knew what it meant to get baptized. I, uh, let me back up. It was exciting to get baptized because you were going down in the water. But my knowledge of who Jesus was and what it meant to have a personal relationship with him was somewhat limited. Okay? So as a result, later on, Around the age of 15 or 16 is when I truly, maybe around 16, when I truly accepted Christ as my personal Savior. I share, share with you part of my testimony is that I went to a Bible study at Pastor Don Anderson's mother's house. And Pastor Anderson was leading that Bible study. And after that Bible study, on my way home, driving my 1970 Trans Am, driving down Ben, ben Road, I, I gave my heart to the Lord. And that's when I truly became saved, okay? That's when I began to know who Jesus really was. But a lot of people go to church and will do church things, and they look churchy. Ain't y'all ever look churchy? Ain't y'all ever step up the house and say, ooh, I'm, I'm feeling churchy today. And you, you know you're looking sharp. And people, people go through these, these, this process, and they go to church, and they be involved, and they sing in the choir, they may usher, usher, bird, they may pray, they may do all these things. But you can do all that stuff and not know God. And so what Paul is saying, I, I pray that you may know God, number one. And I, I pray, number two, that you might know God's calling. Because if you're born again, believe you've been called out, amen, to serve God. And he says, I'm, I, I pray that you might know God's riches. Look at verse 18. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with, with light so that you can understand the confident Hope he has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Do you not realize that God's, God thinks that all of us are valuable? I like what the text says, uh, talking about us. He says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, the enemy tries to tell you that ain't much to you. The enemy tries to tell you you don't have very much to offer. The enemy tries to tell you that, that you're less than what you really are. But guys, I'm going to tell you something. Don't you ever forget that the text says we are his holy people. We're called to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. God thinks a lot of us. He thought of us so much that he gave his very best so that we could have a relationship with him. Okay, So that we might know God's riches. And lastly, he prayed that we might know God's power. We might know his Power, his power. Look at verse number 19 right quick, his power. 90 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power 
for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power. Here it goes, here it goes again, verse number 20. Now, he's, he's, he's comparing, he says, I, might, I, I pray that you might know his power. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. So what he's saying is, is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is available for you, to you and me. But most of us don't think about that. We don't think, of, we think that, well, I'm just only human. Yeah, you are human, but we are human beings who have, if we've been filled with this Holy Spirit, we have the power of God filling us and empowering us to do great works. So never discount what God thinks about you and never discount the fact that God's power is available to help each one of us, amen, do supernatural things here in the earth realm. Are y'all with me today? So Paul prayed that the church at Ephesus would understand those things. Now get back to your outline. So the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church. God is using the church. If you are not connected with a local church, you are out of order. God is working through the church, not just individuals in isolation. Everybody needs a pastor. Everybody needs a local congregation who you can connect with and build relationship with. I, I, I appreciate technology, and you can watch it on the web. Uh, you can see live streaming, but there's no substitute for integrating and connecting with people of faith where you can encourage one another. Are you with me? So none of this, well, I, you know, no, no uh, uh, Fred Price, my pastor, he's in California. And he ain't going to come here and visit you when you're in the hospital sick. Thank God for Dr. Fred Price or whoever else you may be watching. But you need a local congregation that you can connect with. All right, y'all with me? All right, so number two, to... The goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is to assure that church order is maintained. Go to 1 Corinthians 5. Church order is maintained. Sometimes we can get out of order in the church. Sometimes we can get out of order in the church. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. And let's look at verse number six and seven real quickly. Hallelujah. Are y'all still tracking with me? Spiritual authority and accountability. I shared with you the last time we, we got up and, and talked about this. I said accountability is something that we have to learn to embrace because it will help us as we try to move forward in our faith. When you're accountable, when, you, when you're accountable to someone for what you eat, uh, what you wear, and where you go, it'll help you maintain order in your life, Right? Every player who's a part of, a, of an athletic team has, should be accountable to every other player and accountable to the, the coaches. You know, it's amazing how some kids will uh, not show up uh, for practice or, and then not call and then expect to get a pass. See, that, that's not accountability. Accountability means that if I'm going to not be where I'm supposed to be, I'm going to call and tell you I'm not going to be there and tell you why I'm not going to be there. Or why I can't be there at that particular point in time. We know about accountability when it comes to work. Most of us do. Some people don't. That's why some people can't hold jobs. It's because they don't understand accountability. How many of y'all 
in your right mind will not show up for a week and don't call nobody and don't tell anybody. Huh? How, how, none of y'all would, would you? But how many of you would not show up for church for a whole month and not call anybody and not tell anybody that I'm not going to be there, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, you know, I got this going on. Uh, I'll be working every Sunday. How many, how many of you do that? There, 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 are, there are some of y'all that are real good at, especially you all that are in, 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 if you're a minister or you're teaching or something, some of y'all are real good about letting, amen, the pastoral leadership team know or setting somebody know that I'm not going to be there on Sunday. Uh, I can appreciate Sister Barbara Moore. Every time she goes out of town or she's not going to be there, she calls and leave, leaves a message or texts and say, Pastor, I'm not going to be there. Okay? That's accountability. Now, now she could, you know, I, I know her heart, and if she forgot, I, I, if she forgot to call and say that, it wouldn't, know, it wouldn't be a, a big deal because I know, I know what she's done in the past. But how many of you skip church, don't tell nobody? Don't say nothing to anybody. Well, I'm grown. I'm grown. How, how, why I gotta tell? Well, we are our brother's keeper, and accountability should be important to us. You wouldn't do it on your job, would you? If you did, guess what? You wouldn't have one. They would quickly and in an expeditious way dismiss you from the company because you got to be accountable. If they're paying you, you got to be accountable. All right? So now what about the church when we have an awesome responsibility to grow and develop and impact our kingdom impact the, the world for the kingdom of God, but yet we won't show up and we don't feel like it's even important to even let anybody know that we're not going to be around for a month or two. Okay? Uh, accountability. Spiritual thought and accountability. Now, this, it got real quiet there because some of y'all think that I'm trying to get in your business. I'm not trying to get in your business. I'm just trying to tell you, if you can't, if you can't respect the authority in the church, then you probably ain't going to respect it in the, it, it, out in society as a whole. And the other part about that is God, we told you, God, God, the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church. So we got to be accountable to somebody, okay? So to ensure that church order is maintained. Watch this, 1 Corinthians 5th chapter. Let's start, start at verse 1. I got to start at verse number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 1. Now look at this right quick, okay? Because if there's no accountability, there won't be order. It says, Paul is writing, correct? He's writing to the church at Corinth. Am I right? Notice what he says. He says what? I can hardly believe the report. Now watch this now. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. And I told you, in a few months, we're going we're to we're break down 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We, you know, we're going we're to go through it and look at this church. Something that even pagans don't do. I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. Paul had heard it. I know, watch this now, because Paul has apostolic authority over this church at Corinth, yet there were some in the church at Corinth, Tiffany, who didn't think he should have that authority. And some who, who, were, who were pushing back on Paul's ability and right to speak into their life and to govern the affairs of that church. Okay? So they were pushing back. But notice what, notice what Paul said in verse number two. Watch this. Watch this. He says, you're so proud of yourselves 
but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. And you should remove this man from your fellowship. That's what Paul says. You need to disfellowship this man. This man who's living in sin with his stepmother. Look at the next verse. This was happening in the church. Watch this. Even though I'm not with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. Notice what Paul says. I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at what he says. Now watch this now. Because too many times we're afraid to call out open sin in the doggone church. And as a result of us not doing that, then it allows sin to permeate. It, is, it allows sin to spread. Look at what he says. You must, look at what Paul told. He told the Corinthian church, he says, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Look at verse five. Watch this now. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Verse number six, watch it. It says, your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Verse seven, come on, let's go. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. I was talking to, I went and spoke to a group of kids sitting there at a little basketball camp. And I was talking to one of the coaches who, who played ball um, down there at uh, Tech when I was there. And he was just sharing with me. He said he got a young team. He played a lot of sophomores last year. And he said that he had to kick three of his best players off the team because of attitude, because of them not doing what he asked them to do. Now, they suffered season-wise because they only won six, six, seven games. But what he's trying to do is build for the future. See, sometimes you got to get mess out. Come on, to build for your future. It may hurt you in the short run, but you'll benefit in the long run. Because when those young cats see that you can't just do any and everything, skip practice, have bad attitude, and still be a part of this team just because you're good, it's going to cause them to work harder. It's going to cause them to fall in line with that coach's mandate for that squad. So sometimes you got to purge. Everybody say purge. A little purge ain't hurt. Hadn't hurt. hurt uh, as a matter of fact, you look, you look at God. God a lot of times did a lot of purging to get down to those who really are serious and committed to him. And he can do more when that he can do more with less when less is totally dependent and trusting in him. God, go back and read your Bible. God always use a remnant. Because running with the crowd sometimes can be treacherous. Are you listening to me? So, he's, so he says, he says, get rid of the whole yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is really, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Look at, look at these next few verses. Watch this. Look at what he says. Now, again, we're talking about accountability, and we talk about the fact that in here, we says, 
to assure that church order is maintained, you got to have biblical authority and accountability in the church. He said, so let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Verse 9, watch this. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. That's what he told them, right? Look at the next verse. He says, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or who are greedy or who cheat people or who worship idols. I ain't talking about the unbelievers. That's what unbelievers do. They do that kind of stuff. That's what the world do. The world sins. Why are you surprised that the world's sinning? Why are you surprised that, the, that unbelievers lie? Why are you surprised that unbelievers cheat? But you ought to be surprised when professed Christians lie, cheat, steal, ornery, mean, unruly. You ought, and you, that should not be acceptable behavior. He says this, watch this. A greedy or cheap people or worse about it, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Look at the next verse. He says, what? I meant that you are not to associate. Now, this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth because, again, guys, you got to realize if, if, if this church is going to uh, have a, 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 a right to speak into the lives of an unsaved world, there has to be purity in the church. Not that everybody's going to be perfect. We, all, we, we, we can mess up and make mistakes, right? We can make bad choices and bad decisions, but a lifestyle of this stuff should not be named among us. Look at what he says. Now, I'm just reading the Bible. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. You hanging out with your best buddy, you know he hoars. Married and, and, and trying to talk to everybody that he sees. But you hang in with this dude. He's a deacon in the church. Or he's on the usher board. He's saying he plays for the church. What did Paul say? I'm just telling you. What, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, I, I wasn't talking about people who, 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 who ain't saved. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you know that dude, he's not even saved. So you're trying to connect and make a real relationship so you can try to help get him saved. But what he says is, when you have someone who professes Christ, <laughs> come on now, who claims to be a believer, yet indulges. Indulges means lifestyle. Again, anybody can mess up. Anybody can make a bad choice, a bad decision. Anybody can slip up. Anybody slip up? Let, let me call it what it is. Anybody can make a decision to sin. Because when you, listen, sexual sin is not one you can do by accident. Come on now. Can we be real? Because if you indulge in it, that means you practice it. If you indulge in sexual sin, you got to set that thing up. You got to get your lie together. You got, you have time. You, you got to set it up. So, so don't, don't, I don't care who you are. All of us in here, if we, if we fall into sexual sin, that thing was played in our mind before we did it physically. Your imagination began to work. 
You saw somebody, and then all of a sudden you had feelings, and maybe there was an emotional connection first, but then before the physical started, you played that move in your mind. Come on now. Can we be honest? You, you, saw, you saw that in your mind. I started to say something that rhymed, but I ain't. You saw that in your mind, in your mind before you gave your behind. That's what came to my mind. I don't know why that came to my mind, but. So, so let's not fool each other. Don't y'all go out and tell nobody I said that, okay? And don't y'all be, don't, don't, don't post it on social media. Y'all, y'all help me, okay? Sometimes I get out there, y'all need to help me. But I'm trying to make it plain. Here's what Paul says. And guys, I'll be honest with you, that's why sometimes my circle of, of who I hang out can be small because I, I ain't going to be hanging out with you when I know. When I know, come on, when I know what you're about. I'm not, I'm not going trying to chase your stuff down, but when I know when it comes to, when you try to talk to my wife, And I, <laughs> I don't know if he knew. I don't think he knew it was my wife. But then I, but but see, that's why you, you don't never know who who know who and who you. Try. Hmm. What I look like? Go up and try to talk. Then all of a sudden, bust. Ain't you past that? Oh. So you never know who know you. Okay. So so even if people didn't know you, you don't want to be doing this. Why? I meant that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges, who continually practices, is not trying to get out of it. Now, guys, let me tell you something. Christians can make mess up like David messed up. But David turned his heart. He had a, he, the Bible says he's a man of God's own heart. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not throwing, I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just saying that the Bible says if somebody indulges in it, then they, they're not trying to repent, they're not trying to turn away. If people repent, turn away, man, hey, you know, forgive and you move forward. Okay? But when somebody's indulging in it, what this this dude here in the church of Corinth had a relationship with going with his stepmother, and it became public and open. And they're still involved in it, and the church didn't say a word. Okay? So Paul says, or is greedy, or believer who worships idols. Or a believer who is abusive physically and verbally, or is a drunkard, or cheese people. Look at what he said. Don't even eat with those kind of folks. Don't be up in couple like, <laughs> oh, it just food good. No, you a liar and you cheat. I can't eat with you. That's what he said. I'm just reading the Bible. Is that what your Bible says? All right, so we'll stop right there. Okay, so, so, so he says the goal of biblical thought. So if 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 you you and I are submitting to biblical authority, and if you and I are accountable to one another, if you see me straying, then you come get me, because we got to be accountable to one another. Okay, that's all he said. All right, 
Third thing, watch what it says here. So the goal of biblical thought and thought accountability in the church is not only to establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church, not only to assure that the church order is maintained, but to assure the effective execution of ministry of the ministry of the church through the use of spiritual gifts. Look at what it says here in Romans the 12th chapter. Romans chapter 12, to assure the effective execution of the ministry of the church through the use of spiritual gifts. Because y'all, how many of y'all know people can be gifted spiritually? But they're not accountable to anybody. Your gifting will take you to a place where you can't stay. Because people, church folks, believers will get enamored with the gifting. So much so, we'll ignore the mess that you do because you're so gifted. Churches will hire a musician. Know that he's ran through the choir. But he can play. Ooh, when he play, man, everybody get up and shout and run. But you don't know it's killing the ministry. Because it's known that he's Okay, Can I, just listen to me, okay? I'm trying to help us. So, so don't get so enamored with the gifting because again, number three says to assure effective execution of the ministry of the church through the use of spiritual gifts. Look at Romans 12, three says. Romans 12, uh, three through eight real quickly. Come on, let's go. Text says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Look at this. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Look at the next verse. Let's read. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Guys, we all belong to each other. What you do affects me and what I do affects you. We all are part of the body of Christ, right? Look at the next verse. It says what? In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. Next verse says what? Uh, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. Next verse. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. I, Bobby, I still miss your mama's encouraging words. She was an encourager, exhor exhorter. That ministry gift is important. Because sometimes you need to be encouraged. Sometimes you need somebody to just call you and say, brother, sister, I'm praying for you. I want you to know, I know you may be struggling right now. But listen, you're going to make this. God's got your back. Don't you dare give up. Exhortation, encouraging. If it is giving, do what? Give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. And he goes over, I gave you, I gave you another scripture reference to Ephesians 4, chapter 11 through 16. We talk about those, those spiritual gifts there. But the point is, guys, we got to realize that uh, to assure effective execution of the church, of the ministry of the church through the use of spiritual gifts. That's why we need biblical authority and accountability because if you get off into your gifting without 
submitting yourself to biblical authority and being accountable, you know, people will get up and try to, while I'm preaching, want to speak in tongues. That's out of order. Right? Because the spirit of, you know, Paul even said it in 1 Corinthians 14 chapter, he says when we come together corporately, it's better to do something that people can, say something that people can understand than to say something that they can't understand. Now, I'm not saying tongues is still for the church today, but there's an order when we gather together corporately. All right? So if, if you don't submit to authority, then you'll be able to talk, well, I, I got to say what I got to say because the Lord don't gave me a word, Pastor. I'm preaching and God gave you a word while I'm preaching. How y'all going to listen to both of us at the same time? You can't do it, right? How many of y'all men have ever tried to watch Sports Center highlights and listen to your wife at the same time? Yeah, it don't work, does it? <laughs> and when they say, what did I just say? Oh, how many of y'all, you know why I know that's to be true? Because I tried that before and it doesn't work. You got to zero. You can't listen to me preach and somebody over there prophesying or speaking in tongues while I'm preaching. You either gonna focus on me or the other person, or you're gonna be in between the two and you're gonna be confused. Y'all with me? All right. So look at number four on your back page. So the other reason is to promote a strong sense of family within the church. A strong sense of family within the church. That's why we need we, 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 our motto, and I think they just had it up there. Uh, y'all see, y'all saw our new logo, and we we we're, we're taglining. Our, our motto is building faith and connecting families. That's what we're going to be about, building faith and connecting families. That, that, that's a broad category, but connecting families means it, it, more than just your immediate family, but we, we are family here in the church, okay? We, but we got to learn how to connect better, amen? All right, so look at it again. Uh, so to promote a strong sense of family within the church. Number five, to promote a context for responsible discipleship to occur. To promote a context for responsible discipleship to occur. Now I'm going to close on this one because one of the things that, that we, I think we, we miss is, and I said it before, most churches have to start working on this better and, and be more intentional in providing a discipleship model that we all can plug into and we can grow and be disciples. Jesus told us to go and make disciples. Go to 2 Timothy right quick, 2 and 2. 2 Timothy 2 and 2. And then we'll look at Titus and we're going to get you out of here. 2 Timothy 2 and 2 says what? Now who's writing this? Come on. Paul is writing it. Who's he writing it to? His young son in the ministry by the name of Timothy, okay? Timothy and Titus uh, had a similar uh, spiritual relationship with the Apostle Paul. Notice what he tells him. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now he says, now teach these, things, teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. This is discipleship in, in action. Paul says this, you've heard me teach things, he's talking to Timothy, a young pastor, you've heard me teach things that, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now he says, now, you teach these truths to other trustworthy people. So what he's saying is, is that 
Everybody is not, oh, everybody has not submitted themselves and made themselves available to be discipled. A disciple has to be one who's willing to learn. If I got to make you come to Sunday school, if I have to make you come to men's ministry, if I have to make you come to Bible study, you're not ready to be a disciple. You're just not. I mean, you, you, you may be a good person. You save. If you die today, you're going to heaven, but you ain't, you're not ready to be a disciple. And we need disciples in the church for such a time as this because we live in a wicked, crazy world, guys. And God needs some strong believers who are willing to be disciples. He says, you heard me teach you. So, so discipling means that I'm pouring into somebody who is trustworthy, who's reliable, who can teach somebody else also. Y'all got that? All right, so now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That is the discipleship model. Jesus poured into those original 12, amen. He poured into them, and then they, they went and spread the gospel to others, amen. So go to Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, and we're going to close out on this one. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. Now, again, just by way of review, the goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is not for you to just be under somebody's thumb. It means to understand authority, to respect authority, so that we as a, a body of believers can team up and advance the kingdom principles in the earth realm. But we can't do that if everybody got their own little game running. We have to have spiritual authority, understand it, and then we have to be accountable to one another. Amen? All right, watch what he says here. Paul, again, talking to who? Titus here. Titus' relationship to Paul was what? Spiritual son, right? He says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. That's good, isn't it? They must not, they must not slander others or be what? Heavy drinkers. Now, guys, I've talked about drinking before here in this church. And I do want you to understand that um, our stand is, is that we abstain from the use of alcoholic beverages. Hello? I know it is, it is kind of chic and cool now to have your Chardonnay or your Did I say that wrong? What is it? That's, oh, that's your wife in this shit. I'm sorry, Chad. What is it called? Chardonnay. Okay. Oh, Y'all uh, know what Jack Daniels is, right? <laughs> huh? You know, you, know, you know what Jack, you, you know what Jim Bean is, don't you? You know what wild turkey is, don't you? My daddy used to drink wild turkey. I remember wild turkey bottles. Dad, I'm, 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 you, you're old now, and I don't think, you, you're not still drinking wild turkey, are you? Okay, thank you, thank you. Everybody said, thank God for deliverance. I told you about the time I decided I was going to sneak me some wild turkey. And, uh, and I ain't put nothing, I just, I, I, I went into the cabinet, and I saw it, and I got it, and I turned it up. I thought I was going to die. Ooh. I'm like, this, 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 ain't, this can't be. I don't know. I don't see what people get out of this. 
All right, but y'all know what it is, right? You're wild turkey and all that. <laughs> Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. You know, guys, you can't be a heavy drinker if you don't start drinking. You can't get drunk if you don't start drinking. That's my philosophy. I, what I say is there's enough good tasting stuff out there that's of a liquid nature that I don't need alcohol to, to give me a buzz or to get me out of my mind. I want to always be in my mind. I want to be always ready to think. I mean, this is a crazy, I want, I want to be sharp at all times. So I don't need anything swaying or directing my thinking in a way that it shouldn't go. Okay? Now you're saying, bro, Pastor, you're saying I'm going to hell? I'm not saying you're going to hell if you drink. But I will say this, it can be a poor testimony. And you can lead somebody astray. What about that person who, who maybe was struggling with alcohol and they got saved and got delivered, but then they saw you who've been a deacon for 50 years and they respected as a spiritual leader and they see you as thrifty. You didn't even wait till you got to your car. You had that paper bag and you started turning up before you got to your car. And they thought, well, if, if Deacon Smith do it, it's okay for me. Now they, they don't fill off the wagon. Now your, your liberty has caused another brother to stumble. I just don't want to be in that position. Because if y'all find out I'm drinking, y'all going to have a problem with me. I don't care what you say. That's my pastor. He turned it up. Ooh, look at him. You're going to have a problem with me. And if you didn't have a problem with me, I don't want to do it. Because I don't want to cause another brother to stumble. Okay? Y'all with me? So I want all of us to be in a position where we say, you know, there's enough good stuff out there to drink that we don't have to get alcoholic beverages to be all right. We got the peace of God that's settling us. And I don't need a substance to settle me. I don't need weed to calm me down. Okay. All right. Y'all heard me. So when you go to your Sunday school classes, you can discuss it, but let's go back to the Bible. Amen? The Bible is going to be our guide. All right. Be not drunk with wine, word, and it's excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Amen? Wine is a mocker, and strong drink is raising. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I want to be wise. I can't be deceived by it if I don't start drinking it. All right? Okay. Yeah, that hit some of y'all right there. Yeah, some of y'all, some of y'all looking at me like, well. I'm going to do what I want to do. All right, just do what you want to do. But spiritual authority and accountability is important. So similar to teach the other older women to live in a way that honors God, they must not be slander. They must not slander. What is slander? Talking about other folks. Especially slander means you, you're saying something that's, that's, that's bad and it's not even true or you don't even know it to be true. And even if you did know it to be true, why are you going to go out and put somebody's name out there? They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is what? What is good? Next verse is what? Watch this. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Back up, back up, back up, Leroy. Let's read it one more time. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Okay, so sisters, uh, for, for just for sake of 
of example, if you're over 50, I'm going to say you're older. I ain't saying you're old, but you're older than somebody who's 30. So if, you, if you're north of 50, uh, you ought to be trying to train some younger women how to love their husband and love their children, keep their own children, not let the grandma keep them all the time. Spend time with your own children. Well, we got we going out on listen, your go let, let, let me move to the next one. I gotta finish here. Watch this. Uh, next verse is what? Uh, to live wisely and be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, and to be submissive to their husband. That's what I just said. But how are you gonna teach that if you ain't Okay. Then they will not bring shame on the word of God. Next verse. Come on, let's go. It says what? In the same way, encourage the young men to live wisely. Next verse. Come on. And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect. Here, here it is. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. That's why I can't go out and do stuff you know, I'm not saying I'm not immune to, 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 to making a bad choice and a bad decision. Because trust me, I, I haven't done everything right. But I'm not going to intentionally pursue uh, unrighteousness. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. The next verse says what? It says, teach the truth. So that your teaching can't be criticized. So what I just said about not eating with folks who you know indulge in the second sin, when people say, well, I don't think that's right, Pastor. Just go to the Bible. So do you believe the Bible is God's word? Do you believe that God is, is wisdom? Do you believe that God knows what he's talking about? Well, yeah, well, that's what he just said. The problem is people don't believe that God's word this, this Bible is God revealed word. And so as a result, they don't respect it. And they just say, well, I don't feel like that's right. Well, it's not about what you feel. It's about what the word of God says. So teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. One thing I've learned, I learned over life in, in my years, people may not even go to your church, but they'll respect, they may not even agree with you, but they'll respect the fact that you have, you're a man or woman of conviction. And that you're not, you're not going to be out there doing crazy stuff. Okay? So I, I, I got to stop here, guys, because my time is up. But let's review real quick and we're going to go. First thing is what? Number one, what? What did we say? The goal of biblical authority and accountability in the church is what? To establish and reflect the rule of God on earth through the church. Through the church. Not politics. Through the church. Number two, to assure the church that church order is maintained. We got to have order in the church. Number three, to assure the effective ex ex execution of the ministry of the church through the use of spiritual gifts. Number four, to promote a strong sense of family within the church. We need that. And number five, to promote a context for responsible discipleship to occur. Now next week, now following week, I'm back. we're going to look at being accountable when making decisions in the gray areas of the Bible. There are some gray areas and there's some areas where we have liberty at. So when we have liberty on a certain area, we want to make sure that that, that liberty 
doesn't cause us to, to, to inadvertently uh, make somebody else fall. So when there's some gray areas, we're going to look at those, those the, the things that we should use to govern our decisioning in those gray areas of life, okay? Every head bowed, everybody closed.